Well, I've been uh, pastoring this church now for quite a while, over 15 years, and we've always kind of been right along the lake. Now we're even closer to the nautical mile, so whenever possible, I try to use boating analogies to help out, because a lot of people like to be on the lake. How many of you like to be on the water? How many of you saw the sunrise this morning? Was it beautiful? Yes, it's nice to be on the lake. So I, I invite you now to come aboard, all right, the SS Life of Purpose. And uh, we're going to head out into some uncharted waters as I share with you the vision of this church and the mission, really. Do you know the difference between mission and vision? I used to get those confused all the time. The mission and vision, I'll explain it very simply to you. I think every church should have the same mission because Jesus greatly commanded and greatly commissioned us to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He told us to love God and love others. So simply put, every church has the same mission. I mean, if you, don't have this, if you don't have this mission, then you're not a church. You're not truly a church. The mission is simple. Make disciples who love God and love others. I mean, that's it. That's the mission. But how, how we carry out the mission, that's why there's so many different kinds of churches. That's why you have this church to my left and this church to my right and another one right there, and we're all within a mile apart, but we all do things a little differently. That's vision, how you carry out the mission. And the vision is important because the vision really should come from the Lord. And it should be discerned by the leaders in the church, specifically the elders of the church. An elder is a pastor. That's sometimes we use those terms synonymously. Pastor really means to shepherd so really, pastoring is a, is a job that an elder would do. An elder could also be an administrative person. An elder could uh, do, be an evangelistic person. There's a lot of different roles and things that an elder could do. But the church should be led by elders, and elders should be discerning the vision of the church. I've been doing this a long time, as I said, I've read a lot of books on church vision and strategies of churches, and I've had a lot of conversations with pastors in our county, in our state, in our country. I've had a lot of conversations, and I can tell you when a church, when a pastor has a vision that is from God versus when a pastor has a vision from his pride. And I think you're pretty smart, and you probably have been to a church or two, and you can tell the difference also. When a pastor is, 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 is leading his church in a direction because of his pride, because he cares about, as we say, butts and budgets. That's usually what pastors talk about when they get together. I avoid that topic altogether. They say, how's your church doing? And then immediately it's like, oh, we had X amount in service on Sunday. No, I, don't, I avoid that conversation. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about what God is calling us to do. So I'm sure you know, and I'm asking you to uh, discern, if you will, the vision that I believe God has given us, me, to lead this church and where we're headed. So if you kind of are new today, or maybe you've just been around a little bit, you're going to like this, I think. You're going to kind of hear where we're going. And if you've been around a while, you, you, you need to hear this again. You need to know where we're, where we're headed. I, I believe that uh, this uh, ship that God has got us on is headed in, uh, in the direction, and it has three parts. And some, some might say, wow, that's, that's sort of uncharted waters there, Pastor. I didn't know we were going that way. 
Uh, and some of you are like, yeah, we've been that, going that way for a long time. So here it is. Number one, we are a Bible-teaching church. We teach the Bible here. I told our men's Bible study on Friday morning, we had our Bible study we have in this room over here. If you ever want to come, men, it's at 7 a.m. I know it's a little early. It used to be 6.15, so we moved it back a little bit to help you out. But I enjoy our discussion so much. I value every man's opinion when we get in there for about 90 minutes we meet. But I really love it when men share their opinion based on God's word. Gary's great about this. I, t I say this all the time. When Gary opens his mouth, it's usually to share a verse from the Bible. He's not sharing his opinion. I don't want to spend a Bible study in 90 minutes hearing everybody's opinion. I want to hear what God says. And so we open up the Word and we dive into the Word. And the Word should be leading our lives. The, the, the Word should be the center of our life. And that's why I teach verse by verse on Sunday mornings on Wednesday nights. That's why Scott, when he has Bible study before church, you can come to that. You can go to his house on Tuesday, every other Tuesday. They, he teaches verse by verse. We have a lot of Bible studies going on that get deep into the Word, and my vision is that we would raise up Christians that, deeply, that know deeply God's Word, that we want you to know God's Word, but more importantly, live out God's Word in your life, in your daily life. All scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training so you can do God's work. Paul told Timothy that. I mean, that's what God's word is. It's important. And I will tell you, we don't have enough Bible teachers in this church. We'll never have enough Bible teachers in this church. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the, but the uh, illiteracy of the Bible is growing in our world today, in our culture. There's a lot of young people that have never read the Bible, never had a parent read them a Bible story, never been to church. That should, that should shock you. That should, I mean, that should appall you, actually, that, that there's people that don't read the Bible, that don't know what God's Word says. So we're going to be a church that teaches the Bible. So if I had a want ad, all right, if we had a bulletin board there and we had a want ad, it would say on it, Bible teachers needed. And it's not coming down. It's going to be up there for as long as I'm the pastor here. So the Bible teachers are needed, and as the title says, I, I thought we'd have the title slide up by now, by, uh, godly leaders needed. Second vision point. My vision is for us to be a hospital church. Now that might be a new term for you. What does that mean? Well, why do you go to the hospital? Because you're hurt. I want us to be a church because I believe God is calling us to be a church where the wounded can come for spiritual and emotional healing. Where the hungry can come, the homeless can come, those in recovery can come and receive care and love. I believe that your spiritual growth may be limited by your emotional woundedness. I'm going to say that again because it's real deep. I believe your spiritual growth is limited by your emotional woundedness. You've got some emotional wounds in your life. We all have them. And if you've put a Band-Aid on a hemorrhaging emotional wound, guess what? You haven't healed. And you're hurting still. And it's prohibiting your ability to grow spiritually. So what are we going to do about that? Because I've felt this burden for a long time, and I'll give you an example of why 
I've seen it happen in our church. But in May, this is what we're doing about it. In May, we're going to start training anyone who's interested in becoming a biblical counselor. A biblical counselor. And so we can offer free biblical counseling to anyone in the community and within our church. Next fall, we're going to have some groups that are specific to life change, that where you, where you get healing emotionally and spiritually, where you dig in and you, and you rip off that Band-Aid and you start to heal. Recently, we, we started an, an Embrace Moms support group, Embracing Moms. We already have Embrace Life, and this month, we're going to have an Embrace Dads support group starting up, where we empower dads and moms to be leaders in their families. That's what we're doing. We're not just talking about it. We're doing it. Now, have you ever wondered why some people come to church, and maybe you're in this category, and you're gung-ho, man. You're super excited. You want to be a member. You fill out that connection card, and you want to get baptized. You want to join a Bible study, and you want to be on a team serving. And like in a month, you're MIA, missing in action. Have you ever seen that before? I, I've seen that a lot over the years, let me tell you. And I think there's a reason why this happens. I think church, when you come to church, I think it rips off that band-aid because God's word is living and active and it divides soul and spirit. When the word of God is preached and taught, it takes that band-aid off and it reveals your brokenness. It gets in your business. And that's uncomfortable. When things get raw and emotional and you feel vulnerable, you don't always want people to see that. And it's uncomfortable. And that's why I think sometimes people don't come back. Because it got, it got emotional. And if you're in this place, if you feel like, you know what? I know I got some, some emotional stuff going on. I, I need to deal with it. Guess what? You need a mature Christian to walk with you through the healing process. You need God's word to comfort you. You need a mentor to encourage you and pray for you. And guess what? That's what a hospital church does. It's filled with people that are willing to help you and walk with you and heal, bring the healing. And that's the vision that I have for us. A want ad says, mentors and counselors needed. Desperately needed. Godly Mentors, godly counselors are needed. It's so quiet in here, I can tell I hit a nerve. I can tell. Third point, a little more upbeat. I want us to be a, a banner church. If you were here last week on Easter, a banner is a flag. And God was called by Moses, the Lord is my banner. Because when he prayed, when they were fighting in the battle and he prayed, he lifted up high his holy hands and he prayed, that's when they won the war. That's when they won. That's when they had victory. So a banner is a flag that you, that you rally troops together and you send them out. And I believe that's what our church needs to be about. That's what a church service to me should be about is we gather together the believers and we rally each other together and we encourage and we build up and then we send you out. The, being a Christian isn't about once a week for one hour you get to feel holy and that's it. You come here to get built up 
so you can go out and make disciples yourself. So you can do that, and we're to equip you to do that. So a place to rally the troops and send them out, and I think that our services should be filled with the Holy Spirit, should be filled with the Word of God, and I look forward to that day where we send out our own missionaries and support them. We send out our own church planter and support them. A banner church. And that's going to happen when godly leaders step up. We need godly leaders. So that's the vision God has given me. I hope it gets you kind of excited. I hope you, I hope you feel like, man, that's, I want to be a part of that. I want to get, a, get, get on board with that. I hope it encourages you to pray about how you might lead or how you might just step up a little bit. And don't dismiss this because you might think, oh, I haven't been a Christian very long or, or, or I, I'm, I don't really have the tools. There's an old saying, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. If God guides, he provides. So don't just dismiss this. Don't say, oh, he must be talking about somebody else. Don't look around, all right? <laughs> Look in the mirror. Pray about it. See what God is saying to you. Because God, if God is calling you, you will, I pray, listen to his voice. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for our vision. And then we're going to dive into Exodus 18. Father, may your Holy Spirit teach us today. May it speak loudly to us. God, if there is someone here, many here that you are speaking to, Lord, I pray you'll make it clear to them that they need to step up, that they need to take a larger role. They need to have a personal ministry. They need to lead. Maybe it's being a mentor, a coach, or uh, any kind of a Bible study teacher, uh, hosting, anything, Lord. Father, just speak clearly to us. And may we obey when you've called us. Trust and obey. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us. And you don't just leave us here to kind of fend for ourselves. Your spirit is comforting us and guiding us and convicting us and teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, we're in Exodus 18. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in a chair. You're welcome to take that home with you. Exodus 18 is where we're at, kind of also in Numbers 11. Godly leaders needed, that's the title. It leads right into what's going on in Exodus 18. Now I'm going to save, because I did that big introduction about vision, I'm going to save a, a, a little talk about uh, the timeline. I've been kind of wondering about this timeline with the first five books of the Bible. If you've ever read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible written all by Moses, you might wonder, wow, this, things are kind of choppy, like things don't seem to be in chronological order, because they're not. And I've been trying to make sense of it, and so I have a little sense of it. I'll give that to you next week. How's that? Uh, I'll say this, though. Exodus 18, the part that we're covering today, not so much in chronological order. All right? That's, that's kind of why this all came about. Let me just recap the movements. If you haven't joined us for a lot of Exodus, I want to catch you up. When the Israelites left Egypt... When they got out of slavery, when God redeemed them, that's the theme, by the way, of the book of Exodus, is redemption, God redeeming us. When they left Egypt, they left on the 14th day of the month, Passover, They're of the first month, which is the Jewish calendar, the Passover. And when they left, they wandered around a little bit. God had them kind of 
just wandering. They passed through the Red Sea. I think that wandering was to kind of get the Egyptian you know, in place and do his thing. And then they passed through the Red Sea, and they wandered a little more. Of course, they started complaining, so he gave them bread from heaven and water from a rock. You remember that? We covered that. Then last week, there was a big fight, a big battle, a one-day battle, and God rescued them there. And so now they're headed from there through the desert to a famous mountain, a famous mountain that's still there today. It's where God will give Moses the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments. That mountain is called Mount Sinai. Sometimes in the Bible, it's Horeb, H-O-R-E-B. But they're not there yet. They're not at Mount Sinai yet. In fact, if we skip ahead to Exodus 19, verse 1, I'll show that to you on the screen. It says, on the third new moon, so that's the third month, after the people of Israel had gone out of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. So they're not even there yet. So when you read Exodus 18, like I'm going to share some of the verses with you, you're going to read it and you're going to be like, wait a minute. It's like they've been there for a long time, because I think they have been. So Exodus 18 is a little bit out of place. It took three months to get to Mount Sinai. In fact, the, the year, they will spend about nine, ten more months right there at Mount Sinai getting all of the commandments and all of the ordinances and all of that from Moses, from God. And that's really the rest of Exodus. That's also Leviticus. <laughs> that's, oh, we'll get to that next week. But Exodus 18 is where we're at. And Moses is here in this chapter judging the people as God directed him to. Because when you have two and a half million people, somebody's got to be in charge. Right? Yeah. So Exodus 18, verse 16, I read this verse. It says, when they have a dispute, Moses says, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Well, I read that. I'm sure you read that, and you're like, well, what statutes? What laws? They haven't been given yet. As far as we know, we, we don't see those yet. They come later on in the book of Exodus. So what's going on here? Well, it's out of order. It's just out of order, but it's Moses writing this. This was an important memory. Something happened here. It doesn't matter that it's out of order chronologically. It's in perfect order for us because we need to know what to do when we're trying to lead and we feel overwhelmed. You ever been in that position? Jamie shared that? Yeah, you're leading, and you're overwhelmed, and you don't know what to do. Well, that's where Moses is at. So, he needs help. And we're going to go to Numbers 11. In Numbers 11, that's the same timeline, if you will, of Exodus uh, 18. So, in Numbers 11... Moses, verse 10, I'm just going to read you two verses here out of Numbers 11. Moses heard the people weeping, complaining, whining, that's really the word there, throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and they're all just sitting out on the porch complaining. That's what's going on right here. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was also displeased. So Moses goes on like a rant to God. Like, why did you make me their leader? Like, why? And then he says in verse 14, I'm not able to carry all this people alone. This burden is way too heavy for me. 
Well, I can tell you leadership has its ups and downs. If you're a leader, you know what I'm talking about. As a pastor, we have a lot of ups and downs. Last week, tremendous high. It was Easter Sunday. It doesn't get any better than Easter Sunday as a pastor. Right? The seats are full. You bring your friends. Oh, those four rows we brought up from downstairs were filled last week. Today, they're empty. But they were filled, and it was exciting, and I, and I delivered my baby, my sermon. Uh, that's what we pastors call it, you know. It's like delivering. It's a precious baby. But then I woke up Monday, and I was pregnant again, due in seven days. That's a lot of pressure every week. Moses had pressure. And for a while, he was just doing it all by himself. Yeah, he had Aaron, he had her, and he had Joshua. He heard about them. But he's doing this by himself. So now Jethro comes for a visit. And I'll be honest with you, the only other Jethro I know is the Beverly Hillbilly. You know any other Jethro? I don't. But there's this one in the Bible. He's Moses' father-in-law. And he heard God did some amazing things for his son-in-law and all the people of Israel. And he wanted to come for a visit. You might recall, you might remember back in Exodus 4, Moses left his father-in-law in Midian and started to travel with his family. He is married. He has two children, two boys. And they started going to Egypt to do what God had called them to do. And about halfway there, something happened, and Moses' wife and the two children returned back. And so they've been with Grandpa and Grandma, we assume, the whole time. But now they're coming for a visit. So this is kind of a cool family reunion for Moses. And they're sharing all the stories when they get there. And they share a meal together. I'm kind of getting through some of the verses 1 through 11. That's a summary right there. And now we're back in Exodus 18, verse 12. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God because of this great celebration. And guess who joined them? Aaron, the brother, and some of the elders of Israel. The elder would be a, an older, wiser man of Israel. And they came and ate bread because that's what they had, manna. They had bread. And they had a nice meal and a, and a good occasion, and they, and they kind of celebrated. Well, that was that day. And then the next day, verse 13, Moses did what he's been doing. He sat and judged the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for these people? Why do you sit alone? All the people standing around you until morning, till evening? This is ridiculous. This is a bad idea. Moses said to his father-in-law, well, I do this because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. I decide between one person and another. I make known the statues of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said, verse 17, what you're doing is not good, son. Not good at all. You and the people will only wear yourselves out. This is way too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Is this new news for Moses? No. He knows. But he's been doing it day after day after day, and he doesn't know how to get out of it. And he thinks to himself, if I don't do it, nobody else will. Anybody ever said that before? And really what you're saying is if, if I don't do it my way, nobody will do it my way. <laughs> Spoken by all the type A perfectionists out there. So, Numbers 11, Moses was begging God for help. Why did you put me in this situation? I need help. And what does God do? God does what he normally does. 
he sends a person to help. He sent Jethro. And Jethro is about to give some great advice. So when you need help, you ask God, and then you open your ears and your eyes, and you watch and see who God brings you. So God brought Jethro. And Jethro says, Exodus 18, verse 19, Now obey my voice, son-in-law. I'm giving you advice. God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws. You shall make known the way in which they must walk. Do what you're doing. Except look for able men from all the people. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place those men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they can bring to you, but small matters they can decide by themselves. So this will be easier for you. They will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. They'll live happily ever after. (laughs) But listen to what Jethro says. I like that. He says, listen to God. This is my advice, but listen to God. God's going to give you the directions on how to carry this out. And guess what? God did. Go back to Numbers 11. Numbers 11, verse 16. This is what God said to Moses. Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. In other words, you know who you should pick. Seventy men that are fear God, are trustworthy, and are not going to take a bribe. Bring them to the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle, which isn't even built yet. That's how we know that this is not in the right spot. And let them take their stand there with you, and I will come down and talk with you there. And this part's interesting. I will take some of the Spirit, capital S means Holy Spirit, that's on you. I will put it on them. They will bear the burden of the people with you, so you may not bear it yourself alone. What did God do with the Holy Spirit? He gave the 70 men the same Spirit, the same power that was on Moses, because Moses was leading God's people up into that point, doing signs and wonders and miracles. And everybody recognized Moses was from God, Yahweh. And he was doing these things because he had the Spirit of God in him. Remember when I taught you that a little while back? Numbers 11, verse 24 and 25. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. He gathered these 70 men of the elders of the people. He placed them around the tent. By the way, the 70 men of elders is known as the Sanhedrin. When you read the New Testament, you might notice that there are men leading the Jewish people, and they are the Sanhedrin. They consider them to be 70 men plus one, the president, which in this case would be, or the high priest, I should say, and that was uh, Moses here. But ironically, I think they might be missing two. I'll get to that in a second. The Lord came down in the cloud, spoke to him, took some of the spirit that was on Moses, put it on the 70 elders. As soon as the spirit rested on them, something happened to mark the occasion to to help people see. They prophesied. They prophesied. Which means they they spoke of the wonders of God. They, They prophesied. But then it says, they didn't continue doing that. 
So why did they just do it temporarily? It was to show that they were filled with the same spirit Moses was to do the work that Moses was doing to help them. They didn't become prophets. Just because you prophesy doesn't make you a prophet. They did this temporarily. They were filled with the Holy Spirit to do God's work, but they needed the power of the Holy Spirit to be godly leaders, just like today. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit to build up God's church. We need godly leaders to equip the saints, that's you, to do the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4 tells us that. Now, for those of you that like to go deeper into the Word, and we have a lot of you in here, I challenge you to read the rest of Numbers 11. And we can talk on Wednesday about two guys named Eldad and Medad. Because they didn't show up at the tent of meeting like the other 70 did, but they still prophesied. What's that all about? Let's talk Wednesday. (laughs) Seven o'clock, right here. So God gives Moses help. Help. And he gives the people, these elders, to lead with Moses. What a relief. Now I wondered something. Out of all the elders in Israel, because there were certainly more than 70 wise men of Israel, perhaps, but why, why did God, or how did Moses know to choose those 70? Like, how did he pick the elders? That's a good question because we need to know how to pick elders because I already told you that every church should be led by elders. Life of Purpose is an elder-led church. We're not a democracy. The, The church should, the body of Christ, should affirm what the elders lead and do. They are not held, they are held accountable by God and by the people. But it's biblical when you read the Bible, when you do a deep dive into leadership, you see it. The churches were led by multiple elders. Everywhere Paul went, he raised up elders to lead the church. So what makes a good elder? This is an interesting question because when our church first began, we used to have a lot of people, uh, we used to have a nomination team where we would, uh, people would nominate Um, possible elders and deacons in the church. And I found this to be a terrible idea. And the reason why is because oftentimes people don't know what to look for in an elder and a deacon. Usually what happened was they would look for somebody who's old and has a lot of Bible knowledge. And if you're old and you have a lot of Bible knowledge, you probably will be a good elder. Eh. Wrong, try again. Trust me, it doesn't work that way. All right? What makes a good elder? Three things I look for. Three things I look for. Number one, are they called? Are they called? First and foremost, man, are they called? Do they have a calling? Are they already leading? Are they already equipping the saints? Because when you're called by God, you don't sit on your hands. You just go. You you do it. Case in point, Jeremiah, not the bullfrog, the prophet. (laughs) Jeremiah said in chapter 20, verse 9, if I say I will not mention God, I will not speak anymore in his name. By the way, that's the job of a prophet. You hear from God, you tell the people. That's the job. His job, he says, I will not mention it. If If I say I don't mention him, I won't speak in his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary with holding it in. I cannot. That's how you know you're called. 
Because you cannot do it. You have to do it. You have to lead as God calls you to lead. So I look for a calling. Number two, I look for qualifications. This is really clear in the Bible. 1 Timothy 3, Titus gives all the qualifications of elders and deacons. And I take a year to go through the training to determine if a person is qualified. And I even like longer than that to really see if a person is who they say that they are. Just because they look a certain way on Sunday, I have found out that that is not always true how they look at home. So I want to talk to the family. I want to talk to their wives. I want to talk to their children. Boy, children will tell you a whole lot of stuff that <laughs> I've determined. I've found that out. Co-workers, I, I, this is how we know if someone's truly qualified to be an elder. And then the third thing I look for is a humble servant's heart. 1 Peter 5 Peter points this out. Humble servant's heart. Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2, and he described Jesus this way. Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a servant. That's who I want to be an elder. Somebody who's humble and who has a servant's heart. If there's any pride, it's not good. It's not good. So elders lead God's church, and we need more elders here at Live and Purpose. Currently, it's myself and Joe Weisick, who's back there on the computer. And we need more. We need more godly men who will step up to the call that God has put on their heart and be humble servants of you, for you. And God will lead us in that way. Can I finish here by encouraging you to be and to have your own personal ministry. You need a personal ministry. You may not be called to be an elder, but you need a personal ministry. Here's why you need a personal ministry. Read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. God has given every single Christian a gift from the Holy Spirit to build up the body of Christ, not so you can glow in holiness. God has given every single Christian a gift to empower you to build up his church, not so you can sit on your hands and glow in holiness. You need to be serving. You need to have your ministry. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so they can see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. A personal ministry. You know what it does when you have a personal ministry? It gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you a life of purpose. But it also helps me. Because I need help. You want to help me, right? Yeah, I know, because you have compassion for me. I understand that. And I don't want to be like, well, I certainly don't want to compare myself to Uncle Sam, but uh, I've been called Uncle Pastor Matt before by a, a special uh, couple ladies. And uh, I want you to serve in God's army. Because the body of Christ is God's army. And there's times where I feel like Moses, completely overwhelmed, spiritually, tired, exhausted. There's times I feel like Paul. Paul said to the church in Corinth, apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Anyone who thinks that shepherding, pastoring the sheep is a Sunday job is, is so wrong. Man, it's 24-7, 365. I mean, there are times where I feel like I fall woefully short. Phone calls I haven't returned. 
things that are on the to-do list for weeks. That's why we need godly leaders. Because I know I can't do it all by myself, and I don't want to. Because that's not the way God established his church. He called leaders to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So you need to have a personal ministry. And what does that look like when you have a personal ministry? Well, it could be as simple as you're out there in the parking lot and you're helping people find a parking spot. You know, I love it when Vince came here, he said, you know what, my personal ministry is I'm going to pick up the, the garbage that's in the, in, so the place looks nice. What a great personal ministry. It's a, it's a purpose that he, that he, whatever you're, say hi to a new person on Sunday. We used to have a guy in, our, in this church that used to do that all the time. He would just look, every Sunday, he's looking around, who do I know? Who haven't I said hi to before? That was his ministry. Jack was his name. He used to do that all the time. Maybe your ministry is you pray for a family. You just kind of adopt a family and you just love on them and you pray for them and you encourage them and build them up. Maybe it's becoming a mentor or a trained counselor or you're going to lead a group or you're going to start teaching the Bible. Whatever God is calling you to do, just do it. Godly leaders are needed and there's a lot of work to do. So we got to get to work, church. Don't you think? It's time, isn't it? It's time for us to get to work. I'm going to ask our team to come up and um, lead us in this final song. If you feel like led to lead in some way, if you feel like God is calling you in some way, fill out your connection card. Not in such a way where you're going to be MIA, but, you know, fill that out. It shows intent. It shows what God is calling you. You feel like, or if you want to just email me or text me later on, that's, that's fine. But I want to walk with you. I want to encourage you. If you're like, I don't know, I have no idea where I might fit in or where, what I might do, it's, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll talk. We'll see what God is, is doing. God has already been doing it. It's amazing how God is, is calling people to step up. The fact that we have Embrace Dads and Embrace Moms groups that are starting, that's because leaders stepped up. Brandon said, I, I want to do this. And he's eager and he's doing it. Jessica stepped up. People are stepping up. Yeah, give them a hand. It takes courage. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll sing our final song. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for helping us to get through this hot, hot morning. God, may your wind, your fresh Holy Spirit, come over us, refresh us, encourage us, Build us up so we can build others up. Give us that ministry. Make it clear how we might serve and glorify you. In Jesus' name.